Hey, this is Scotty Dingus, pastor of West Logan Church. We are glad you're joining us for our podcast today. I hope you find what you need in today's message. Let's talk today about the Lord's Prayer. And uh, the next several weeks, I will be focused on this uh, line upon line, word upon word. And we're going to look at this totally different today. I've never really studied it out this way, but we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And a lot of times we think we know the Lord's Prayer because we quote it so many times we hear it. Um, we know the words, but do we really know the Lord's Prayer? We hear it at sporting events. And I can remember about five, six years ago, right when I started doing these prayers with athletics and with teams, maybe it was eight years ago, a uh, midget league football team in Chattanooga asked me to come. I would do prayer. Uh, they wanted me to quote the Lord's Prayer. You know how much pressure it is? Come on, Pastor Scott. You've done a devotion. You pray. Now do the Lord's Prayer and lead us all in. I'm like, oh, uh, put me on the spot. So, yeah, of course, by by just rehearsing over the years and hearing it, I've done all right, especially when everybody joined in, the kids even knew it. Uh, so you hear it at funerals and community gatherings, and it, it's the go-to prayer. And we're going to walk through this, but Jesus left his disciples, uh, he let them know how not to pray, first of all. That, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, you look at the verses before to Matthew 6 and then Luke 11 as well. He told them how not to pray. He said, if you do not have a prayer relationship in secret, don't you think you're going to accomplish anything in public? It's basically what he told them. He said, if you really, because the Pharisees would go out and just pray in front of everybody, but they never did pray in private is what he was getting to. He said, if you don't have a prayer life in secret, don't expect for God to show up for you in public. For what you do secretly, God will show forth publicly. That's your sin and that's your prayer life, all right? So eventually it comes out. It shows. God looks at the secret closet of, of communication that we have with him. It's the fact that, that, you know, it's the fact that you do not want something from him, but that you want him. That's what God wants. It's not that we go to him wanting something. God, we just come to you for our name. God wants you to want him first. That's the main thing about prayer. Prayer is an intimate relationship with God. Then it's got to be a, we, we've got to be people of prayer. We've got to return back to prayer. I believe conviction has left people's lives because they're not praying. I mean, if you never go visit your family, you don't know how they feel. If your family lives in three states away, you never see them. You, know how, you never know how they feel. But when you visit them and you see them and you're close, there is benefits to being close to the family. When you're close to God, there's just benefits of knowing things. But this brings us to Luke 11 and Matthew 6 today. But I'll be taking just my text really from Matthew 6 later. But... This brings us to the point where the disciples seen how Jesus operated in such power and anointing. And they seen he was such a person of prayer. They're like, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us. Tell us how to pray. How do we do this? In fact, this really could be the disciples' prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. We deemed it. But really, if you really look at it, it's the disciples' prayer because Jesus could never pray this. Jesus just taught them how to pray. Jesus could never say, forgive me of my sins. He became sin. He never sinned. This is not his prayer to the Father. It was different of his prayer. But then when he came to the disciples, he said, this is really your prayer. All right? So this is Jesus teaching the disciples. It's really probably the disciples' prayer more than the Lord's prayer. But the Lord's prayer is broken up into two halves. The first half is concerned with God. We hear things like this. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. The second half is concerned with us. Our daily bread. Forgive our sins. Lead us not into temptation. But then it goes back to God at the end. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 
And if you've never been to a Catholic wedding, they leave that part out at the end. We went to a Catholic wedding, big old thing in Nashville. It was a fun place to be. I'm walking in this big cathedral, and we have all these Pentecostals and Baptists in, in Christian's family. We all walk in. They go towards prayer, and they say, we're going to quote it, and it's in the middle of the sermon of the wedding. And they all stop on the bride's side. But over here with all of us Pentecostals and Baptists, we all keep on going, and they all looking at us. And, like, we was weird. Like, they got kind of tickled, but they're like, because we went on to say, for yours is, and when we got to for yours is the kingdom, we had an anointing in our voice that was different. I mean, it's like, for yours is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever, amen. And you, you can see the priests, it was like, yeah, they're not from around here. <laughs> so prayer is not an informational session either. We need to understand that in us informing God, God already knows our needs before we even ask. That's, that's what he even said when you look and you stay up the Lord's Prayer. He said, God already knows your needs. So God wants you to know that he just wants you to talk to him about it. In fact, the Bible says we have not because we ask not. So God already knows our needs. Just because God knows our needs doesn't mean that God's going to meet our needs according to Scripture. It's a relationship that though you got needs, God says you still need to bring them to me. I know your needs, but let's be intimate enough to talk about it. He has knowledge of everything, but there are some things he's not going to act upon unless there's a relational communication with him about it. His knowledge does not equal his action. God's knowledge of it does not equal an action from God. Jesus opens up saying, we're still yet not going to show you the scripture yet. But Matthew 6 and 9, we'll see in a moment. He said, in this manner, therefore pray. He didn't say pray just like this. He didn't say do this verbatim. He said, but in this manner. He said like. In other words, use your own words. Don't just do something rehearsed. But be intimate with God. If every time you showed up to your spouse, you quoted a line from a movie. I don't know if you ever watched a show like that, but I love King of Queens and Doug Heffernan on the show was doing all these sweet things for Carrie. And one of the sweetest things that got her heart in that season on, on that show, on that 20-minute sitcom, is that he quoted a line that someone had said to a monkey. And when she found out about it, she threw a fit. Like, all this time you melted my heart. It was a line that someone said to a monkey. And sometimes I believe we have things rehearsed. But God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from your heart. He wants you to be intimate with them. So he says to pray like this. He said use this format. But you don't have to go verbatim. Use this as an outline to communicate with God. So let's look at the verse 9. In Matthew 6. It's loaded with principles about prayer. And we see it says our father. First of all. You're not an only child. You need to understand. He's just not your God. You know how some people. My God. My God. No. Our God. <laughs> I know he mean well. But our God, we're, we, we are a family. Let me tell you, the folks here today, we are a family. And he is our God. He's just not your daddy, but he's our father, okay? So he said in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, that's all we're going to hit today, but I'm going to break this down. Why would Jesus say when you approach God that you're approaching our God and not your God? Because you're not the only kid in the family. And, you know, there's some people that's got, uh, some parents that got two or three kids, but some kids act like they're the only kid. 
I got only one kid. It's okay for him to act like he's the only kid to me and Kristen. I mean, he knows that. There's no competition there. But, you know, you're not the only kid in the family. You cannot be part of a family of other siblings and act like an only child. But, however, do you realize people act like they're the only child in the kingdom of God? What do you mean? You will get less from your family when you alienate yourself away from the family. God desires everyone to be part of the family. When people say, I don't feel part of the church. Think about what you're saying when you say that. Have you alienated yourself? Usually 90% of the time, I bet, that someone has alienated themselves when they say they don't feel part of the church. They have just cooked themselves out of the community, which today's life group signs up. So there's your plug. But the Bible tells us not to forsake the assemblies together in the church. The Bible tells us to care for one another and to love one another. Assembly together is just not Sunday morning, but it's beyond that service. I believe that God is very intentional about us having a desire to be involved in the church. We should be serving somewhere in the church, somewhere at least monthly. And we should be doing some type of group to get together. The Bible is intentional about letting us know that we need to be connected to each other in the church somewhere. Just find time somewhere. There's something over there you can sign up for that goes beyond the Sunday morning that you would love. God said you will get more from me when you relate to your siblings. When you're a part of the family. My mom, dad, they're going to camp this weekend, so I'm going to talk about them a little bit. It's good. It's okay. You don't tell on me. But my mom's always concerned that me and my brother are not going to be close one day when they are gone. I'm like, man, we're, we, we, we talk. He actually answers my phone call before he answers theirs, which makes him sick. And she laughs. She just shakes her head. But we, we get along. She said, I'm worried about that. I want y'all to say, Mom, we will make sure we get along and we talk. And because she knows that it's important to be close to family. But, you know, God sees the same thing. He sees it's important for us to be close to him. But God wants us to be close to our church people. Even though we've had church hurts before, he still wants us to be close because when we find that, I'll tell you this, for every 10 relationships you build in the church, there may be one that hurts you. And you can't let that one that hurts you keep you from the other nine because amongst those people that you fellowship with is a lot of healing and a lot of family. And when you go through things, they are there for you. So that's why we are better together. That's why teamwork makes the dream work. So let's look at the word father. He is father. You are, only, you know, he, he's our father. We are his children. We know that. Everybody has accepted Christ according to scripture. We are the sons of God. So we look at sons and daughters of God. But he's our father. And when you approach God, he wants you to approach him relationally. Not, not just God way up in heaven. Not just having that mindset, well, he's so far up in heaven. He, does he even know anything going on? My, he knows everything there is to know about you. But he's wanting you to dig in to begin to know about him. So we need to not just look at him as God way from heaven, but daddy who's in our heart in relation with us. I told you a moment ago that we have a right to call him daddy or cry out Abba Father, which means daddy according to scripture. So letting us know that God is relational. That he desires for us to know how close he is really to us. The problem in today's society is that many people have had a bad relationship with their father. It is proven that when people come to God, that a lot of times the way they approach God is the way that they were fathered. They, they, they have an idea of God by who their father was, unless they get healed and they get in church for a while. But a lot of people don't want to come to the house of God because like, if he's God, 
And, and if daddy is absent from the home in the earthly sense, then they have a wrong sense of who really the heavenly father is. It's just so true. There's, why do you think the devil fights so much on the home? And think about it. There's a lot of mothers raising kids with no father involved. There is a, and don't get me wrong, there's some fathers involved with no mother. I know that. But more prevalent on the other end, mothers raising kids without a father. And then even today, no mother and no father. And somebody else in the family. It's just true. The devil attacks. And we can't help it. He attacks in those directions. He comes at it so hard. What should we do is to start with the father in heaven. Let him define fatherhood down to us here on the earth. Until we get close to God in relationship with him and see how much loving that he is towards us, then we're not going to have an idea how the father in the earth. If you want to be a really good father, then get really close to God. Drop legalism and get intimate with God, and then you begin to find out what all the father is about in your life. So when we understand the Heavenly Father, then we can understand what kind of father we're supposed to be. Now here's the next one. He is father by position. He is father by position. In Scripture, the father is the head of the home. Our father is, is the father of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. There's a position there. Even in Scripture, all the covenants were made through the Heavenly Father, for he held the position of responsibility. Now this right here may make a few people mad, but it's so Scripture. Because you don't hear people talk about it. But in the Bible, it is the earthly father's responsibility to raise the children, not the mother. Now, that hits deep, don't it? Well, mama will take care of it. Mama will do it. You do realize it's the father's position scripturally. Amen. New Testament. We're not going old here. Everybody's like, well, that's old. When you say something like, that must be one of those Old Testament. No, no. This is New Testament. Let's look what Paul said. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So if you're good to your mom and dad and you obey them, you can live long in the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But fathers, the charge is fathers. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. 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 So in the father's responsibility to raise children, the job of the mother... Is to fill in the gaps and to aid and behind, be behind what the father's doing. Don't get me wrong. doesn't mean the, father, the mother's dismissed, but the father is supposed to be the leading example. He is supposed to be the one that implements it, but a lot of times fathers are in the home, but they're really absent on fathering. The Bible says for the father is to teach their sons, is what the Bible says. If the father does not own, own it, then you're only father by title. And not by responsibility. We have too many earthly fathers that are father by title only and not with responsibility. If you were the devil, what would you do? You would try to get the mother to upsert the home. I told you, this is be, y'all's preaching me down now. I won't have to sit here a while. <clears throat> Put a stake in the ground. I can feel it. But by getting rid of the father, you've canceled the position and created an extra burden on the mother. A father can be in the home but still be absent. When the fathers are removed, then it can be a mess in the kid's mentality, ultimately in the mess of the view of God himself. Don't you think Satan knows that? Our father in heaven owns responsibility of all of his children. This places God in the position of provision. 
God told Adam, I'm going to give you a family. You're to provide for your family, but I'm going to provide for you. He, he was like, as I am in relation with you, Adam, and I provide for you, you're going to show them what I'm like by you providing for them. That's how you be like God. You become a provider. You're like, well, I got a job. I pay bills. I'm providing. They eat well. I'm doing good. So right there, you're like the Father in heaven already. So then this places God in position of protection. God told Adam to guard the garden, and under that, God guarded Adam. He said, as I guard you, you show the family how to guard the garden. God fathered Adam, and in turn, Adam fathered the family. So there's a principle there. You're like, I'm doing all those things pretty good. At first, you're like, man, am I failing? But then you look at it, I'm doing all right at this. If you start with your human father, and it's not a good father-child relationship, then you don't see how good our heavenly father really is. Today, you're not, only an only, you're not just an only child, but you do have a father. You have siblings. You have the family of God. You start your prayer in relationship with your father. Say, I'm a pastor, but my role, according to Paul in Scripture, is to father the flock. I'm to occupy the position, but I am to father those that God entrusts to me. I mean, there's just so many principles behind it, even pastorally and then in fatherhood and having a family. So let's move on. Our Father in heaven. That's what we read. Our Father in heaven. We need to know our Father is not here on earth. It's the Holy Spirit moving the earth, bringing forth the will of the Father. He is a heavenly Father. We live on earth. We operate on earth. We, by our five senses, we are limited by time and space. But your daddy, Father God, is not subject to time or space because he's in heaven. He sees the beginning from the end. He is Alpha and Omega, beginning from end. Daniel 4 and 26 says, your kingdom shall be restored to you after you recognize and understand fully that heaven rules. So heaven rules earth. We've got to understand that heaven rules the earth. We pray to an unseen father. And he is in heaven, which means he rules the earth from heaven and is carried out through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the limitation of your earthly father is not to be compared to your heavenly father. Even if you had a really good earthly father, he's good. But your heavenly father see it way better. There's no shortcomings with our heavenly father. Even when the your earthly father is really good, there's shortcomings. There's mistakes, though he's really good. But our Heavenly Father, we cannot compare our earthly father to our Heavenly Father because then we'll think that our Heavenly Father may have mistakes. Don't get me wrong. If you had a good father, more than likely you have a good view of the Heavenly Father. Earthly fathers do not have the last word. Whether your earthly father was bad, non-existence, or even presently great in human regards, your heavenly father cannot be compared to the earthly father. When Jesus prayed, as we see he did so many times in scripture, he would pray relationally to the heavenly father. He would call him father. Only one time in scripture I can find when Jesus prayed, he did not call the, the heavenly father father, but he called him God. And it's when he was dying on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would Jesus pray at them? Because he took up on sin. He had sin covering him because he took it up on all humanity's sin. And in that one moment, he felt alienated from the father. So no longer was he father. Now he's like, my God, my God. Because he did not feel the close of the relationship. 
John 20, 17 says, I'm ascending to my father, your father, to my God, and your God. Why would Jesus say that? If you notice, he says, your father, to my God, and your God. Why would Jesus say this? Because the same help the father gave him is the same help that the father gives us. You mean as God was with Jesus' son, now we are the sons of God. There are many sons and daughters of God. Because now we are in Christ, that when we call upon him, the same aid and help he gave his earthly son, he gives you and I. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we come to God in prayer. We need to know as he was there with Christ, he's right there with us. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, which is a seat of relationship. And the Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus in a relational seat with the same rights that Jesus has. So that's pretty awesome. That's relationship. Think about this with me today. Some of us have heard such bad judgmental teaching over the years. We may pray, my judge, who, who are in heaven. I mean, maybe you only see him as a judge, but he wants to change that if you'll get close to him that he doesn't. Don't get me wrong, he is a judge. Before he becomes a judge, he desires to be a father. That is his, his desire. Legalism puts a hammer over your head. And it's about to hit you with it because you look at God as always being mad. But our Father is a good God and a good Father. And He has a relationship with us. Yes, He disciplines us, but it's out of love. When we talk to our Father, we're talking to Him relationally. You know, He doesn't want you to pray, King James, because it's just not you. It's not your personality. God wants you to talk to Him out of your true self and your personality. Use your words. How you would talk to someone close to you. In the earth, talk to God with an honor to God in that same manner. Prayer is a kid talking to their daddy. Prayer is a kid talking to their daddy. It's a conversation. Our Father who are in heaven. Here it comes. Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed in the Greek means sacred. Separated, unique, and to treat in a class all by itself. When we pray, we say, Daddy, there is no one like you. There's no one as separated, as unique, as sacred. There's no one in a class all by themselves like you. Amen. You are hallowed. So you come to him and you recognize him, how hallowed he is. So my earthly father is a good father. He, prayed, he paid an incredible uh, Christ for my family, just like many fathers do for their family. So in earth, I hallow his character, my earthly father. But when I look at my heavenly father and I understand the price he paid on the cross for my salvation, my deliverance, my healing, there is not a problem with me hallowing his name in the earth because I know I have been saved from the pits of hell. I have been delivered from darkness and sin and its bondages, and I have been healed to the uttermost from my soul to my spirit, and my name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. So when I come to him, I have a hallowed response to him, a sacred. He's in a class all by himself. There's no one else that I would talk to in that manner because he's my father. To hallow God's name is to put his name in a class all by itself. He's not to be compared to anyone else or anything else. He cannot be misrepresented. The third commandment says not to take the Lord's name in vain. This means keeps his name hallowed, but don't make him ordinary. We should not make God ordinary. 
He's the hallowed. He's above us. He is our creator. We should treat his name good and not treat his name in vain. To take the Lord's name in vain would to put profanity in front of his name. It would be to take an oath and say, according to God, his holy word, and then you go tell a lie. It would be to take his name lightly and say, so help me God. The name of our Father. The name of, so we think of a name many times. We're still just talking about the first line. We, we think about a name many times, but we don't think about the meaning behind it. In the Bible, many people would name their children certain things after something because it's associated with a certain situation, a good thing, bad thing, a pain, whatever it may be. And they names had meaning, like the name Jabez. We do the Jabez prayer. We talked about it here before, which means pain. Jabez's name means pain because when his mother was giving birth, he brought a lot of pain. She said, you're a pain, so your name's Jabez. And his prayer was that he would not cause pain, and God honored his prayer, that he would not be a person that caused people pain as he did his mother in childbirth. See, God would often change names when he would change purposes. Catch that. He would change names when he changed purposes. Abraham had a purpose, but when God changed his purpose, once relationship hit, he no longer was Abram, but he became Abraham. Same thing with Sarai. Once she came into relationship with the father, she became Sarah. We change. Our perspective change when we come into relationship. And we don't see him as God alone, but we see him as our he wants to be close to us. We would never name our kids Hitler or Stalin, would we? Because of the association with the name. We are careful what we name people. When me and Kristen done a mission trip to Germany and we was doing ministry to our military over there, because they're based over for like sometimes over a year, and we went over to encourage them and, and we done a mission trip and it wasn't a hard mission trip. It was such a light mission trip. But people are so embarrassed yet today of everything that took place with Hitler and under that name. But we would never name our kids as something that would be embarrassing or associated with a name that is hurtful. When God wanted to express himself, he would give us names of himself. The name God all by itself is a generic name of God. And I ain't saying it to be mean, but it's just God. It's just broad. It's just a broad name when you say God. In the Old Testament, do you realize there's 85 names for God? 85, because those names have meanings to show us a side of God, to show us how he operates and how he manifests and what he can be to us in the time of need. That's how intimate he is. He said, hey, I can be this, I can be that. I'm here to meet your needs. I already know your needs, but just ask me. I have a, you have a covenant with me, and I'm going to hear what you ask, and I'm going to do things for you. So the more you know God, the more you can hallow him. If you don't know God's name, then you cannot hallow him. So when you come to God, he's just not God. First of all, he's my daddy. He's my father. He's my creator. But I want to give you three foundational names of God today, and then I'll close. Very quickly, I want to hit these. If you can get these three foundational names of God, then you'll receive a better understanding. Elohim means creator God. That would be the first one. This is the name we find mentioned in Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God. He is the creator of God. This is the God that shows us he is powerful and he creates. And that's why he is Elohim. You need to know this name because God wants to show his power through your life. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 3, by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So that 
what is seen was not made out of things which out of things that are visible. Now God created out of things which does not appear. God did not need raw material when he created. You know, we get something, we have raw material for us. And we have to work from that. God did not need raw material. He just created. That is power. He still created with his power. Only God can take the nothingness and create a universe for us to live in. Now you think about evolution. Only lies to our children education saying everything came out of nothing. Then they even use the Big Bang Theory and say there was an explosion that brought forth uniformity in the earth. But every time I've ever seen an explosion, it took what was uniform in the earth and destroyed it. You need to know that God's name as Elohim because you need to know God can do stuff without you knowing or seeing or any idea of how he can pull it off. And God, though it looks like there's nothing for God to work with, he can create it and make it happen. That's why we come to him, our Father who art in heaven. He is Elohim. He can create something from what seems like there's nothing to work with. Then the second name is Jehovah. You understand there's nothing impossible with God. It's Elohim. But then you have Jehovah. This is the name God gave himself, and it means Lord. When you see Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, this is Jehovah or Yahweh. This is God's relational name. This is the name he gave himself to show you he's relational. When you see the name Lord in Scripture, usually is that Jehovah or Yahweh. This is God's relational name, covenant name. It's a connective name. God's showing us that he's connected. That he desires to be connected. He desires you to be connected, and he desires his children to be connected with one another. Once again, life groups. That's all I'm going to say about it. Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? And God said, tell them the I am sent you. This is Jehovah. Tell them Jehovah, the relational God. Yahweh has sent me. He said, you, I'm not who you want me to be. I am that I am. People try to make God ever. They bring God down to their level. God said, I'm too big for you to bring me down your level. I am that I am. I'm relational, I'm connective, and I'm creator. God is a relational being. He's our father. You cannot have a distant relation with God and spend close up benefits. God says, listen, the closer you mean, there's some benefits. Don't get me wrong. There's a benefit to the distant relationship. But the closer you get to God, the more the benefits that pour through your life and your family's life. Just like close relationships and family has benefits. But when you alienate yourself from that family, you cannot have the benefits. You need to be connected to the family. The third and last name I'll give you today is Adoniah, which is Lord. Capital L, but not a capital O-R-D. Adoniah means master, supervisor, in charge of you, boss, and your only. So Elohim's power. Jehovah's about relationship. Adoniah means he's just in charge of you. If you don't want someone telling you what to do, then you don't be called him Elohim or Jehovah or Adoniah because the Father's in charge. This is not your life. Once you're in Christ, it's no longer you in charge, but now he is boss over you, and he's purchased you with the precious blood of Christ. He is your owner. The greatest insult you can give to God is when he tells you to do something, then you tell him what you think. I had an awesome dad growing up. Still, I'm awesome dad, but he was so incredible. I can remember him telling me things. You need to do this, but then I would tell him what I think. My dad would look at me, and he was just straight. 
I know some people think this is bad parenting, but I think it's great parenting. He said, I, he would say things like this, I don't care what you think. You're going to do what I say. Now the day, you can't parent like that. You got to let that. That's the reason why you're having so many problems out of them. You got to parent as the father would. You got to model after the father. God can never tell you wrong. You can't outthink him. You can't outstrategize him. You just need to apply what he said. The Bible says, let God be true and every man be a liar. Hallowing the name of God is doing what he says. You mean, I don't even have to pray to hallow his name. No, your life makes him hallowed. You listening to him makes him hallowed. So when you come to him, you've already made him hallowed. Out of a lifestyle of relationship with him. Psalms 34, 1 through 3 says we should magnify his name. Hebrews 13, 15 said you should give thanks for his name. 2 Timothy 2 and 19 says when you go public, you should wear God's name. Psalm 8 and 9 said let us exalt his name together. Psalm 11 and 9 says awesome is his name. The Bible says from the rising of the sun and going down the same, may the name of the Lord be praised. Proverbs 18 and 10 says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and anyone that runs into it will find safety. The greatest name in the world is your daddy our father the most powerful name in the world is our father the name above every name emotionalism is when you make a lot of noise about nothing that's emotionalism so when we shout out his name it's not emotionalism because he is everything and he fills every void so today i'm making noise with a powerful name our father my daddy adonai elohim my father who i'm intimate with when I run out of something, he's Jehovah Jireh as well for the provider. When I need protection, he's Jehovah Nisi, my banner, and gives me victory. When I am in turmoil, he's Jehovah Shalom, my peace. There's a lot more names. I've only given you, I believe, six of the 70, of the, there's 79 names I haven't given you yet. He is our Father. So when you come to him, know that he desires close, intimate relationship that he's your daddy. So when you say, God, I'm here today, he's like, I already know your needs, but tell me about it. Today, God's called us to be a church of prayer and a people of prayer. That he's charged us with that, but we need to have the perception that he desires that and he wants to hear from us. Don't distance yourself from the Father today. Will you stand with me? Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to reach out to us, please contact us through social media or at westloganchurch.com.